So for the last five weeks, we've been looking at the theme of the priority of heaven over earth. And if you've missed any of the talks, they're all up on the website, so you can catch up because it's been a great series, if I say so myself. Um, so I, I want to encourage you to listen to them. I think these talks are life-changing, and I, I'm not saying that just because I've done them. I really do believe that they've been life-changing because I've heard the stories back. So we've been looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, and in, in those verses there's a series of competing opposites that we've been looking at. We've been looking at two kinds of treasure. We've been looking at two kinds of eyes. And last week we were looking at two kinds of masters. And this week we're looking at two competing providers. God or worry. God or worry. And so today we're actually concluding the series. And we want to talk, I want to talk to you about how Jesus doesn't want us to worry because life is more than this. Would you like to just say that phrase? In fact, whenever I say it, would you like to repeat it? Because that is the main theme of the talk today. Life is more than this. More than the things we see around us, more than the world around us, more than our physical needs. There is more. He's the God of the more. There's more than this, more than what you see, more than what you experience, more than what you touch. There's more to life than this. <laughs> Life is more than this. Let's just get the phrase right. <laughs> and Jesus gives us a whole load of reasons why we don't need to worry. In this passage, I'd like to read with you now. So if you'd like to turn to your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read Matthew 25 to 34. And I'm going to speak on the whole passage. <sighs> so it's going to be a feast. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, (laughs) O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the unbelievers run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, and each day has got enough trouble of its own. Amen. So do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Three times Jesus says, do not worry. It's a command. He commands us not to worry. Now, if it's a command, what that means is when we worry, it's a sin. And he tells us it three times. So three times a sin. (laughs) Do not worry. 
How is it a sin? How is worry a sin? Because not all worrying is wrong. So in Acts chapter 15, we see Paul constantly concerned about the churches he'd planted. In 2 Corinthians 11, we see Paul worried about the constant pressure for the churches. And I'd say that Jesus was pretty worried when he went to the cross. It says he was sweating blood, which would seem to indicate some kind of anxiety going on there. So not all worry is wrong. And as I've said recently, worry, if it's directed properly, can be turned into powerful intercession. And guys, there are some things that we need to be worried about. We need to worry over the salvation of others. We need to worry over abuse and injustice in our society. We need to worry over sickness and loss. We need to worry heaven with what we worry about. And in so doing, bring bring heaven's reign and rule to earth. We need to worry about that. There needs to be a spirit of intercession released in our worrying. But where worry is wrong or inappropriate is where it's misdirected. Or whether it's in wrong proportion or at its root is a fundamental lack of trust in God, his nature and his character. And that's the kind of worry that Jesus addresses here. And we're commanded not to worry like that. But this isn't a command in, its, in isolation. This has been a bit of a revelation to me. This isn't just a command where Jesus don't worry and that's it. That's final. Because before the sentence, before the command, is an important word, therefore. The context of do not worry is therefore. Therefore, meaning because of the priorities that have already been settled in the previous verses. Because of the decisions that a believer has made about kingdom priorities. So, for example, because heavenly treasure trumps earthly treasure, why worry about decay and loss? Don't worry. Because light is more than darkness, it overcomes it, and for us, earth becomes dim in the light of his glorious face. Do not worry. Because God is your master, heaven your priority, there are no idols that compete for your worship and your affection. We don't need to worry. Do not worry. Three times, do not worry. Because of these things, because of these priorities that have now been made by us, worry doesn't need to be a part of your life now. It's inappropriate for the believer. So we need to repent. We need to change the way that we think and allow this command of do not worry to interrogate us again. Interrogate our priorities. Really interrogate them. Say, God, what are my priorities for your kingdom? So why don't we just do that before we get started? Why don't we just say, Lord, I'm sorry I've been worried. I've been worrying in a wrong way. Why don't we just do that right where you are now? Just say, Lord Jesus... Say this after me, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that I've been worried about the wrong things. I've got the wrong priorities. And Lord, I want to turn away from that now. I want to ask you to resource me now. And give me revelation so that I don't need to worry anymore. In Jesus' name. Do not worry. We don't need to worry. Does that help? Does that help anybody who's worried today that there's a command? Yes, it does, but only in part. (laughs) It's a good start, I think, but it doesn't deal with anxiety. Because if I've said to you now, right, you've prevented from worry, so tomorrow you're not allowed to worry anymore. How would that make you feel? (laughs) Worried. (laughs) 
It doesn't deal with anxiety going forward, does it? It deals with worry in the past. But not worrying is quite another thing, especially for somebody who may have been struggling with anxiety. You know, for them, not worrying is easier said than done. I know I've struggled with anxiety myself, and I've helped many others to worry too. (laughs) And of all the things I could say about anxiety, one thing dominates, and I'm sure if you've suffered from it, you would agree with me on this. One thing dominates over everything else. An anxious person has an overwhelming sense of powerlessness. Powerlessness. And for many of these people, the command not to worry when you're caught in the vicious circle of anxiety seems cruel and unfeeling. And pastorally, it doesn't help a person to know this. It just gives them another reason to worry and feel rubbish about themselves. Now, if we're going to be a courageous people who know how to worry in the right way and to feel empowered not to worry in the wrong way, then we need to get something more from Jesus' teaching than condemnation because that is not what he is about. Jesus isn't about condemning you. He's not about condemnation. He wants to empower you. He wants to empower you, which is why I want to take you through the rest of Jesus' teaching in one go because uh, he doesn't leave the command there and just expect us to get on it. The rest of his teaching empowers us so that we don't need to worry. And it's all built around this key phrase that you know so well. Life is more than this. And so there are three keys that Jesus gives us to undermining worry. Isn't that so convenient how Jesus always does that? He always gives preachers three keys. So key one, here's key number one. You need a bigger perspective because life is more than this. It's more than what you're going through now. It's more than the physical world around you. It's more than the trouble you're in. There's another dimension. There's a different perspective. And so in, Jesus, in, 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 number, in verse 25, Jesus says, your life and your body is more than this. Food and clothes. It's more than this. And your life is a bigger miracle than what you are living. <laughs> your life is a bigger miracle than what you are living. Think about it. The miracle of life. The fact that you are alive. That you are Breathing, feeling, seeing, touching. How did it happen? How is it possible? What is life? I mean, what is it? It's a mystery. You know, even with all medical advances in recent years, life itself is still a mystery. Where does it come from? Where does it go to? When you die, what is the difference between a living, breathing human being and a corpse? When the spirit leaves the body, life departs and the person just isn't there anymore. You know it. You know it intuitively, instinctively. What is that? What is that life? I mean, think about your body. Your body is a bigger miracle than how it's dressed or even how it looks. Isn't that good news for some of us? (laughs) You know, how it works, how your body works. You eat and food provides energy for you to move. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to plug yourself into a socket at the end of the day and recharge for the next day. You just eat a sandwich. And your body, it's amazing, it carries you everywhere. Your life is possible because of your body, which, by the way, can also reproduce, and then even more life can happen. What a mystery. What an amazing thing. Your body and your life are amazing. So Jesus says, your life is more than this, because the greater miracle has already happened, and God did it. 
Before you were even born, a body was given to you. And life came into that body. God's already done the hard part. He's given you life. He's created your body. Food and clothes are secondary. They are small in comparison. So why do you worry? Life is more than this. It's more than the material world. Look around you. The whole of creation has made it possible for you to live today. The whole of possible. God did that too. I believe that. I believe that God did that too. Look beyond that. Look beyond just what is around you. Look to the stars, the moon, the sun, the universe. Sometimes when I'm worried, I literally do that. I go outside and I look at the sky, I look at the stars and I look at the universe and I get a bigger perspective of what I am a very, very small part of. And for a very short time that my life is on this planet, I can get that perspective and think, oh, it's all going to be here long after my problems have gone. There's a bigger perspective to see. So Jesus says, he says, look, If you're worried, if anybody's worried tomorrow, he says, do this. Go and look at the birds and the flowers. Go and look at the birds and the flowers. He's very practical. He says, if you're worried and and you're wondering if there is more to your life than this and you need another perspective, look at the birds and the grass. Just look at them. And literally the phrase look at is to study intently, watch them carefully and diligently, take up bird watching. That's what Jesus is suggesting. Study their life cycle, watch how they feed, watch how they reproduce, get caught up with these tiny little creatures that have no real commercial value and let them be your teachers. Get another perspective. Look at the flowers of the field. Again, totally worthless from the world's point of view, commercially. And these flowers that Jesus was talking about would have been used for burning in ovens. They were completely worthless. Take note of this, he says. Look beyond your life and compare it. Look at the flowers. They're dressed better than you. They're dressed better than you, and God did it. God did it. Jesus' point is that if the creator has already provided everything for the birds and the flowers, then how much more will he do for you when he created the whole world for you in the first place? Isn't he amazing? You're much more valuable than birds and flowers to him because we have a heavenly father provider. You know, I love this picture that Jesus has of our heavenly father feeding the birds and clothing the flowers. Worry doesn't do that. God does. Our heavenly father is our provider, not worry. But of course, this isn't a passive thing, meaning that everything, everything, all we need to do is just sit there and it will simply drop into our laps. Having a heavenly father provider doesn't mean that we don't have to work. I mean, if you go out and you study the birds of the field, you'll see that they hunt. (laughs) They look for the food. Um, God doesn't literally go out in his slippers each morning and feed the birds. Now, there's some work for them to do. But the creator, you see, has provided everything that they need within creation, just like he has for us. The possibility for provision is built into creation. And because we have a heavenly father provider, it doesn't mean we don't have responsibility for others. As if we should say to the poor and the hungry, your problem is you don't trust God enough. That's your problem. 
Now, God has provided enough food and resources in the world for everyone, and the problem is actually man's selfishness and greed. John Stott writes, it's not inadequate divine provision that's the problem, but an inequitable human distribution. And having a heavenly father provider doesn't mean that we don't have trouble either. I'm just going to sit around and God's going to wait on me. There's not going to be any trouble. Jesus actually says the opposite. He says, no, you're going to have trouble in this world. That's not very good news, Jesus. He says, no, you're going to have trouble, but I want you to do something about the trouble. I want you to break it down into each day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today is enough. There's enough trouble in a day. Don't worry about tomorrow. What does worry achieve? It doesn't add anything to your life. So don't worry. You see, Jesus never guarantees freedom from trouble, but freedom from anxiety because of our confidence in a creator who is also our heavenly father who loves us and never leaves us. Life is more than this. It's more, it's more than what we see. It's more than what we know. And we need to get a, big, a bigger perspective. That's the first key and the longest one. So the second key to undermining worry is about confronting our doubts, which undermine our faith in God and our ability to trust him. So key two is this. You need to deal with your doubts about God. What do we really believe about God? Because Jesus tells us the reason we worry is because of our little faith or lack of trust in verse 30. It's about a lack of confidence in God, little faith that causes us to worry. And this is manifested in a series of doubts. Here's the first doubt that many struggle with, doubting God's existence. I'm speaking this to a room full of believers, I think. But even for them, for us, sometimes we have difficulties, doubts. Is he real? Is he really out there? Am I just making it up? Remember the priority Jesus has already given us before. He says, God or money, who is your master? Choose you this day. And sometimes the reason we doubt God is because money, wealth, and materialism seem so much more tangible to us, doesn't it? Especially when life knocks us down again and again. And in these times, we can go through some really dark places and our faith can take a real beating. Now, a few years ago, I hit such a low point that I doubted just about everything except for two things. I just knew two things. The first thing I knew was that God exists. And the second thing I knew was that God loved me. And that's so important. It's so fundamental. Knowing that God is real is foundational to our faith. It needs to be settled before anything else. It's hard to get anything from God without this fundamental belief. God is real. It says in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists. I bet you knew the first part of the verse. Did you know that bit of the verse? Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And in all my life, I've only ever met one or two people that genuinely, when they're pushed, believe that God doesn't exist. Most people, if you ask them, especially if you push them a bit, will confess to a kind of innate awareness of God. And they might call him different things. They might call him a higher power or some kind of who, him up there, him upstairs, that kind of idea. God exists, settle it. 
Settle this. That's the foundation of your faith. He's real. Stand on it no matter what is going on in your life because life is more than this. Our God exists. Sorry, I'm not waiting for you, am I? I'm too excited. I'll try and calm down a bit. I'm a bit excited this morning. It's nearly Christmas, you see. And and I'm excited about this message. So undermining, undermining worry, strengthening our faith, dealing with our doubts. The second one is doubting the nature of God. The nature of God. You know, God who is supreme. He's in control of everything as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you really believe that God is all-powerful? Do you really believe that he is totally in control? That the whole world is under his command and that every event in history, every circumstance of life, that he is ultimately in control of it? And one of the reasons we struggle with this and we enter into doubt is because of the very fact of his supremacy is what disillusions us. Because we can look at our lives and say, God, if you were really in control, then how could you let that happen? How could you let that happen to me? How could you let that happen to them? How could you let that happen to us? Anybody? That's because we live with a sense of entitlement to which says that somehow God owes us something, not realizing that he owes us nothing at all. In fact, he has already given us everything in sending Jesus who laid down his life for us. It doesn't owe us any more than that. When we get this, if we could get this, if we get this sense of entitlement and and rest it, it opens up a greater understanding of his grace, knowing that anything he gives us is because of his grace and his love. That he wants to bless us, not because we deserve it, because life is more than this. It's more than this. Doubting the nature of God. Doubting his character, his faithfulness, his love, his goodness, and his care for us. So building on that sense of entitlement and the disillusionment it breeds is the tendency to doubt all kinds of things about him which undermine our faith. For example, God, you're really good. That's pretty crucial. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he is good all the time? Do you believe that he's good to you or is he only good to other people? Believing that God is good. Can I really trust you with my life is behind that question. Can I really trust you with my destiny, with the calling that I have on my life? Can I trust you with my family? Can I really trust you with what I have? That's what's behind the question. Doubting his character. Somebody uh, that we hugely respect prophesied over us two years ago and said to us, the autumn, September of 2016 is going to be very significant for you as a family. There's going to be an amazing blessing for you in autumn 2016. So what happened as soon as it got to September 2016, we started to look at every day differently. We started to look for this goodness of God in every day. We, start, we woke up every morning thinking, what is it going to be? We don't know what it is, but it's been promised. We believe that God speaks. We believe that he's true. By the end of September, nothing amazing particularly had happened, but my whole perspective had changed. 
I woke up every morning believing that God is good and that he wants to bless me today. Do you need that kind of prophecy for you? Do you know, next month for you is going to be an amazing month. (laughs) This year, 2017, is going to be life-changing for you. If you walk into your year like that, it's going to change your life. Because God is totally good. And when you're facing doubt, so if you're facing doubt at the moment, this particular one, I want to say to you, pull out your Bible and review everything you can about his character. Review the stories that are written there for our benefit. Review his promises. Go back over your life and go to those places. Look for those places where he has broken through for you and provided for you in the past. Stand on that. If you're in a difficult place right now, look back even over this year. This is a challenge. Let me challenge you with this. I've been challenged with this recently. Look back over this year. Trace what God has said to you over the year. Of course, if you're not keeping a record of what God says to you, it's a bit difficult. But the Holy Spirit can bring it to your mind. Remember the talks that really impacted you at church. Remember the verses that stood out to you. Go back over them. Review them. This is a good time at the end of 2016. Review last year. This year, sorry. What did God say? Trace it and you'll find that he has said so much more about what's happening there now than what you realized. How he has prepared you. How he has spoken to you. I've spoken to many people who've been through tragedy and they've said, you know, when it all calmed down, I realized how God has spoken this, this and this to me. And it gave me strength and courage. Look for evidence of his faithfulness and say to yourself, life is more than this. It's more than the trouble I'm in. He's already spoken to me. The next area of doubt is doubting our relationship with him. Jesus says it's our heavenly father and he compares this with the unbeliever or the pagan in verse 32. Jesus is very clear that it's our Heavenly Father that we pray to for our daily needs. That's in the Lord's Prayer. And it's our Heavenly Father, he says, who feeds the birds and clothes the grass. It comes out of our relationship with God, who intimately knows us and what we need. That's what Jesus says. And knowing God as Father can be a battle for some who've had difficulties with their earthly fathers, for example. But look, take this. I know this is a very big subject, but just take this. God is the only perfect father, and he is the father that you've always wanted. You know, when you've looked to your dad and said, Dad, if only you were more this, if only you were less that, if you were a bit more of this and a bit less of that, when you look at your dad like that, or if he wasn't even there, if only you'd been there more, God is the perfect father that you never had. He was always there. He was always faithful. He was always good. He's your only perfect father. He'll never fail you. He'll never let you down. And there is also security in knowing God as father. Many times I've found pastorally that a root of fear or of anxiety is down to not knowing God as father. Because it's only when we know him as father that his perfect love comes into our hearts and casts out fear. 
And healing comes. His fatherhood, you see, is the ultimate antidote to anxiety. Do you know God as father? Is he your father? So what's undermining your faith in God at the moment? Who is he to you? We need to deal honestly and openly with the things that cause our doubts. We need to deal with the disappointment and get healed up where we need it. And opening our hearts to a deeper relationship with him. Because life is more than this. I waited that time. So that's two keys. Get a bigger perspective. Confront the doubts that undermine our faith. And here's the third key. You need to know how valuable you are to God. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says in verse 26. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than than they? How much are you worth? Because this key undermines worry completely when it comes to identity, issues of identity. And understanding not just who God is to us, our Father, but who we are to God, his children. We're valuable to him and he wants to provide for us, although not always the things we want, but always the things that we need. If you're a good dad, you give stuff to your kids that's going to be good for them. If you're a good parent. Jesus wants you to know how valuable you are to him. He says, you're more than the birds and the flowers. Well, obviously, more than the birds and the flowers. Actually, I wonder if Jesus is thinking of something much bigger in value than this. He's thinking as he's looking around at those people, I'm going to pay the ultimate price for the people that I can see here right now, for the sins of the whole world. I'm going to lay down my life. His life is given in exchange for yours, and that is a high price. How valuable are you? If you doubt how valuable you are, Your worth is equal to that of the Son of God who laid down his life. That's pretty valuable. Say to yourself, I'm valuable. (laughs) I am really valuable. His life given in exchange for yours. No matter what you've done or how you see yourself, this is how God sees you. You're valuable. You're valuable to him. Life is more than this. Because Jesus died for you. So let me just conclude then. Who is your provider? God, the Father, or worry? You can choose. I know which one I would rather have. Because life is more than this. What you can see, what you can feel, what you can touch, all the troubles you're in. And our priorities as believers mean that we don't have to worry in the same way as the unbeliever. Because of the bigger perspective that we have. Because of our faith in God and the value he's placed in us as demonstrated in the cross. So why should we worry? We need to repent for the worry of the past and we need to strengthen ourselves and empower us not to worry in the future. Jesus has given us all these reasons to undermine the wrong kind of worry in our lives. God is in charge and he is willing and able to provide us. As we go into this new year, how about going into the new year with a sense of expectation of the goodness of God? That every day is another opportunity to explore his goodness and his grace.
And then there are some things that we need to learn to worry about. (laughs) There are some right things to worry about, and we need to be turning back to God in prayer and the perplexities of life and the perplexities of what's happening in our nation. Perplexities, terrorism, fear is out there all around. But we don't have to be anxious because our God is in charge. Let that cry rise up in the moment of uh, perplexity, in that moment of trouble. Let it rise up from your heart. There's more to life than this. There's more to life than this. Where is my God? Where is he? Let it drive you into intercession and prayer because that's why we're here. It's not here to have a nice life where nothing ever goes wrong. It's here to be intercessory people that call to God for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. Say, Lord, let heaven come down in this situation. Amen.